Hello, this is Adrian Hendricks. And Jerry Hendricks of Say One More Now, Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the very image of God. There is no greater dishonor to God and to human life than to bypass by ignorance or rejection His salvation that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. We want to wish all mothers, indeed every woman who is listening, a very happy Mother's Day. Whether you have children now or on the way, have lost children, have adopted children, stepchildren, foster children, mentor young women, or are just a good friend, each of you is very special to God who made you, and you are to be recognized not just on Mother's Day, but every day. You are unique and unlike any other person on earth. We pray that you would realize the blessing of God's peace, His pleasure, and His comfort this Mother's Day. We pray that the eyes of your hearts will be open to see the many ways God really loves you. We recognize you as tenderly beloved of God. Happy Mother's Day. We focus today on marriage and family. Many ladies listening may no longer be married or have family here due to death, separation, divorce, or a myriad of other reasons. Others are lonely, want to be married and have a family, yet they continue to wait on and seek the Lord. We believe the Lord's message for all of you is, look at me. We believe he wants you to know that he sees you and you can trust him. Remember his promise from Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. It may be hard for you to realize, but God had you in mind from the beginning. We can read about it starting at Genesis chapter 2 verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. But God wasn't finished yet. The story continues at Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I would make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Bible teacher Albert Barnes states, 
God knew what was in the man whom he had formed, and he expresses this in the words, it is not good for the man to be alone. He is formed to be social, to hold conversation, not only with his superior, but also with his equal. As yet, he is but an individual. He needs a mate with whom he may take sweet counsel, and the benevolent creator resolves to supply this want. I will make him a helpmeet for him one who may not only reciprocate his feelings, but take an intelligent and appropriate part in his active pursuits. Not only did God plan for and make the man and his counterpart woman, our Creator had something for them to do. We read this at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. God said, Let us, here speaking of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts, and over all of the earth, and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. These passages give witness to the first couple in a union made and blessed by God. We call this union between a man and a woman marriage. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines marriage as the act of uniting a man and woman for life. Marriage was instituted by God himself for the purpose of preventing the promiscuous intercourse of the sexes, for promoting domestic felicity, and for securing the maintenance and education of children. The word promiscuous in this context refers to sexual intercourse that is indiscriminate or undistinguishing, not restricted, or common. While we're at it, let's define the words male and female located in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Male pertains to the sex that procreates young. The word procreate means to generate and produce, to engender, which means to begat between the different sexes, to form an embryo. The operative word here is different, indicating not of the same sex. Those of the same sex cannot come together and procreate. God did not make men and women to function that way. The word female refers to the sex which conceives or receives into the womb to begin the formation of the embryo and bring forth young. The womb, only found in females, is that part of the body where young are conceived and nourished till birth. The phrase, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, is a directive that still exists today. Obedience to this directive is how people populate the earth. As children are born, grow up, and leave their families of origin, they make families of their own, and the cycle continues. God has established human families to be composed of an adult male, an adult female, and children that can be male and or female. This is a very straightforward system with no confusion. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 records God's instructions to Adam, the male, and Eve, the female, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The same instructions are given to Noah after the flood at Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 7. God pronounced a blessing upon Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly on the earth and multiply on it. A blessing is a means of happiness, a gift, benefit, or advantage, that which promotes temporal prosperity and welfare or secures immortal felicity. 
Felicity means to have great happiness, blessedness. Felicity is the joy of heaven. God loves people and intends great blessings for married couples who are devoted to him. It is his design to bless married people with fruitfulness as they multiply and fill the earth. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 make this clear. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. As arrows are in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy, blessed, and fortunate is the man whose quiver is filled with them. They will not be put to shame when they speak with their adversaries in gatherings at the city's gate. God told the sinful Israelites about his design for marriages at Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The Lord was witness to the covenant made at your marriage between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously and to whom you were faithless. Yet she is your companion and the wife of your covenant made by your marriage vows. And did not God make you and your wife one flesh? Did not one make you and preserve your spirit alive? And why did God make you two one? Because he sought a godly offspring from your union. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and let no one deal treacherously and be faithless to the wife of his youth. For the Lord God, the God of Israel, says, I hate divorce and marital separation, and him who covers his garment, his wife, with violence. Therefore, keep a watch upon your spirit, that it may be controlled by my spirit, that you deal not treacherously and faithlessly with your marriage mate. God loves the unity marriage brings. Marriage, which he created, only happens when one man and one woman enter into a covenant, a mutually supportive relationship. This is the marriage that God blesses. The author of Psalm 128, verses 3 and 4 says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the innermost parts of your house. Your children shall be like olive plants round about your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who reverently and worshipfully fears the Lord. At verse 3, the term wife is used. Wife refers to a woman, female, united to a man, male, and the lawful bonds of wedlock. Likewise, a husband is a man, male, joined to a woman, female, by marriage. Definition of the terms husband and wife do not include unions of the same sex. We read at Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Have you never read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be united firmly, joined permanently to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder or separate. It is important for us to recognize that God's design for marriage is based on monogamous faithfulness between one man and one woman married to each other. Exodus chapter 20 verse 14 declares, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus himself provides greater insight of this law at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And what is adultery? It is violation of the marriage bed where either the husband and or the wife have sexual intercourse with someone to whom they are not married. 
the author of Hebrews states at chapter 13, verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, and especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adultery. Sexual vice is sexual depravity or sexual corruption. These terms refer to all sexual activities that violate God's divine plan for both men and women. Bible teacher John Gill's commentary on this verse states, Marriage is the union of one man and one woman in wedlock, whereby they become one flesh. It is a joining together of male and female in this relation, and of two only. This is honorable, as was instituted by God and has been honored with the presence of Christ, the ends of it being to procreate children, build up families, preserve a legitimate offspring, and prevent fornication and all uncleanness. And it is so when the duties of the relation are performed on both sides, and it is honorable in all, in all things, in all respects, upon all accounts. It has been honorably esteemed among all nations. It becomes persons of all ranks and degrees, quality and order. And it is honorable in all that are lawfully married and do not violate the marriage contract or defile the marriage bed. Gill goes on to say, The sin adulterers are guilty of is a sin committed by persons who are either one or both in a married state and so is directly a pollution of the marriage bed. This was punishable with death by the law of God. And though men may make light of it, God will judge and punish such as commit it, both in this life with diseases, poverty, and disgrace, and in the world to come at the great day of account. For however secretly it may be committed, God, who is omniscient, sees it and will bring it into judgment. Nor shall any be able to escape the righteous judgment of God, for he is omnipotent as well as omniscient. The word omnipotent means God is almighty possessing unlimited powers, all-powerful. Omniscient describes his absolute knowledge of all things, infinitely knowing and all-seeing. Our marriages are at their best when they emulate Christ's marriage covenant with true Christians, his body. Just in case you are wondering what Jesus has to do with marriage, Ephesians 5, verse 20 through 33, describe the relationship of the Messiah with his bride, those who truly follow him, known as the church. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. About verse 25, Adam Clark says, Here is a grand rule according to which every husband is called to act. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. But how did Christ love the church? He gave himself for it. He laid down his life for it. So then, husbands should, if necessary, lay down their lives for their wives. And there is more implied in the words than mere protection and support. For as Christ gave himself for the church to save it, so husbands should by all means in their power labor to promote the salvation of their wives and their constant edification and righteousness. Some men and women may be thinking, that is a tall order. Well, certainly is, but it points to the importance of our future marriage with Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. He has already died for us, but because he did not stay dead, he lives to lead all those belonging to him into righteousness and holiness. This includes right relationships between husbands and wives. Chuck Lawless is Dean of Doctoral Studies and Vice President of Spiritual Formation and Ministry Centers at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where he also serves as Professor of Evangelism and Missions. His blog at chucklawless.com has this revealing entry from November 2015 entitled, 12 Ways Satan Attacks Christian Marriages. I've studied spiritual warfare for more than 20 years, and I'm continually reminded of how the enemy attacks Christian marriages. From the Garden of Eden at Genesis 3, he has sought to lure individuals and couples into his traps. He wants to weaken or destroy marriages, and he delights when children are wounded in the process. Without suggesting a the-devil-made-me-do-it philosophy, I list here some of the enemy's primary tools I've seen over the years. 1. Neglect. The same couple that spent all their dating time together grows apart after the wedding day. The neglect is usually subtle, though, which is the way the enemy often works. 2. Sin. We can't get around this one. Regardless of what the sin is, disobedience that weakens one's relationship with God also weakens our relationship with our spouse. 3. Blame. That's what Adam did in the garden and what we often do. When it's not my fault, I don't have to worry about changing. My spouse does. 4. Selfishness. Too often, couples commit themselves to one another until death does us part during the wedding ceremony, but then live as if the other doesn't exist. 5. Secrets. Anytime we're hiding anything, especially from our spouse, the enemy's winning in some way. Honesty breaks the enemy's strongholds. 6. Anger. Many of us have lived this experience. Uncontrolled, unleashed anger can destroy the bond between husband and wife. 7. Prayerlessness. A couple that does not pray together misses an opportunity to strengthen their marriage. In fact, their prayerlessness says they can handle marriage without God's help. 8. Pornography. Increasingly, both males and females struggle with this sin that reduces human beings to an image and implies that our spouses aren't good enough for us. 9. Financial fights. That happens especially when we live for wealth and security, most often doing so at the expense of spending quality and quantity time with our spouse. 10. Offspring trouble. From Genesis 4, Cain's killing Abel, the enemy has attacked our children. Too often, their struggles result in conflict between mom and dad. 11. Adultery. 
As Satan often does, he magnifies the temporary pleasure of sin over the devastating long-term effects of crossing that line. Families then pay the price for our bad choices. 12. Divorce. Even with the exception clauses of Matthew 19, we cannot conclude that God ever delights in divorce. The enemy does. Lawless later posted these 12 secrets to a long marriage in August of 2019 after considering the marriage of his in-laws, which lasted more than 69 years. 1. Decide from the beginning that divorce is simply not an option. Don't ever let the word enter your mind, much less your heart. 2. Raise your children well together. That doesn't mean your children will be perfect, but good child-rearing removes some of the potential stressors on a marriage. 3. Be wise with your dollars. Again, simply being sensible about how you spend money removes another common source of conflict in a long-term marriage. 4. Love God first and stay in the church. I hang around Christians much of the time, so this one may not be a surprising finding. Nevertheless, the point is that a relationship with the Lord is a serious glue for marriages. 5. Be nice to each other. That's basic, but it's true. Say, thank you, and you're welcome. Say, I appreciate what you do. Never verbally tear down a spouse. Sacrifice for the good of the other. 6. Say, I love you, every day. They're just three words, but they're powerful ones, and they never lose that power. 7. Hold hands. At a young age, we hold hands because we want to touch. At an old age, we hold hands to help each other walk, and still to touch the same person we've loved for decades. 8. Pray together weekly, if not daily. The prayers aren't always long complex or sometimes even theologically strong, but they are an invitation for God to be the center of the relationship. 9. Serve each other. I watch and wonder as older couples minister to each other, with one helping the other overcome whatever challenges they face together. You'll last long as a couple when you're always serving each other. 10. Learn to forget stuff. Holding grudges is neither healthy nor godly. Long-term marriage partners forgive offenses and truly let them go. They don't let the sun go down on their anger. From Ephesians 4, verse 26. 11. Review the memories. More than 50 years together will give you a lot of memories. Talk about them. Go back to the tough, challenging days that cemented your love and commitment. Reminisce and rejoice. 12. Laugh together. Laughter has a way of reducing tension. When you laugh together, you increase the fun of being together. Husbands and wives, we direct you to a powerful passage of Scripture found at James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and cry. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the Lord's presence, and he will exalt you. Jesus is the only one who has promised eternal life to those tired of living life their own way. He is also the only one who has power to back that promise up. He is reaching out now to everyone who wants him. He is saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you have already been following Jesus, don't stop. Continue in His steps and keep listening to and obeying His directions. Hold on tight to the promises He has whispered to you in your quiet times. You will not be disappointed. But if you are unsure of your salvation because your life has not really changed, your marriage is a mess, your family is in shambles, and no one in your home is behaving in a Christ-like manner, then it is probably time for you to resolve these inconsistencies now. Go to the Lord and ask Him to show you the truth about your relationship with Him and what you need to do about it. Be prepared to listen closely to what He has to say to you and to follow every instruction. If you are unsure about with whom it is you are talking and what is being said, ask Him to give you confirmation of what He is saying from His Word, the Bible. Because the Bible is an expression of who He is, He will not be in conflict with His Word. However, if you have never accepted Jesus into your heart and you are serious about wanting a new life today, please pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart. He already sees your heart, knows it thoroughly, but loves you anyway. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I truly want to turn away from every sin and invite you, Lord Jesus, into my heart and life. I will trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Thank you for saving me right now and making me a child of God. If you really meant that prayer, you are a new person. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Find a Bible you can understand and read it every day. The Bible is the handbook for those in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Get to know what it contains because it is alive. It will bring life to your body and feed your soul and spirit. Reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God is one of the most important things you will do. It will also let you know the will of your Heavenly Father and help to keep you safely following Jesus. Pray to God every day. You don't need fancy words. Just talk with Him about everything as if He were your best friend, because He is. God is the most faithful friend you will ever have, since He will always be with you. At Hebrews 13:5, God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for his calling on your life. If you are faithful to spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. You can hear this message again on our website at saveonemorenow.org. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life is good. God gives life. God is good.